Welcome back to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. Gary, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. It's your birthday, so you know when this goes up, it won't be, but hey, everyone can listen and say happy birthday. Gary, look, he took the time out of his day to talk with me about RFK because I messaged him saying I was interested, and he's like, yeah, I wrote a book on it. I was like, well, let's get talking about it. Gary, it's a pleasure to see you again, man. Uh, pleasure to see you again. Thanks for the uh, invite, and uh, yeah, I made a, another trip around the sun. I got to ask about um, your book on RFK, man. Did you get into it because of the JFK assassination? Did that open up the doors? Like every other researcher has said, the JFK one kind of was part of the territory. They just started looking into the RFK, the MLK. It, it is. And it's, it's you know, it's not just the RFK. It's the political assassinations of the entire 60s. Uh, you know, Meg Rivers, Malcolm X, uh, Dr. King. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when you start examining the Robert Kennedy assassination, it's just as you know, uh, convoluted as the JFK assassination when it comes to, okay, how many shooters, directions of the shots, um, you know, eyewitnesses. And again, you know, just like, um, uh, just like in Dallas where the uh, uh, media was, you know, uh, relegated to the back of the motorcade route, there were no professional photographers uh, taking any video or, um, you know, photography stills of RFK as he went through the, the pantry area. There was nobody back there with a camera except for Scott Inyert. And, he, you know, he didn't even get any pictures of the area uh, essentially either. So I want to ask about where you focus with the RFK assassination. Like, what did you write your book about? Um, obviously, we're going to talk about the polka dot dress girl I want to get to because no one has really mentioned that. But did you tackle it like how most people did where they look for parallels with the JFK stuff to see if the RFK thing, did you focus in on the autopsy, that, which is a little bit different? It's That one's interesting to me. I focused more on the crime itself and how RFK's – I'm sorry, how uh, Sirhan's uh, attorneys basically never defended the guy. They were just trying to keep him out of the – uh, electric chair or the, the death penalty uh, phase part of it because, you know, he he admitted to doing the shooting and then he tried to recant and the judge wouldn't let him recant. And so I really looked into the ballistics and the medical evidence of the shooting. And again, it, it's, uh, it's, it's just going down that rabbit hole again because again, once you get down there, there's too many shots for his type of gun. Uh, the eyewitnesses that are still alive, you know, they're they're telling different stories on what the government did, you know, and then, you know, you get to the point where, you know, um, the LAPD opens up the case, you know, 20 years later, and all they do is just cover their asses, basically. Uh, so this is the second in my Mark for Death series on RFK, and I have um, the original JFK Mark for Death, and uh, in about two weeks i'll have uh the third in that series jfk jr uh marked for death well i know who i'm coming to when i get interested in that one at some point yeah uh so like i said i i primarily looked at sirhan's case and the evidence that was against him and how his attorneys basically didn't do anything to you know to basically get him off um i mean it's it's ridiculous i mean the 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 lapd is trying to claim that you know, bullets fired from his gun uh, matched up ballistically with what was in Robert Kennedy, yet they used a different gun for the comparison bullets. It's different serial numbers, everything. They took the same gun out of a police locker uh, that was used in another crime and used that to fire the, the shots and claim, oh, they match. Well, how can they match if they're from different guns? I mean, it, it's just it's ridiculous when you look into the actual case itself. I mean, his attorney's. You know, they were, uh, you know, basically being blackmailed uh, by the uh, the mafia. He was representing uh, his attorney was representing Johnny Roselli. And so he really couldn't say a whole lot because he didn't want that information to get out. So, you know, like I said, his attorneys, they, they did him no justice whatsoever. Um, I got to ask about the different gun. Did they not have the original gun that Sirhan had in his hand? Yeah. Oh, yeah, they had it. But they didn't use it when they fired the comparison bullets. Nobody thought to bring that up and say, hey, what about the original gun? Why are you showing us a different one? Well, like I said, that's the reason why, you know, if, if he had actually had a true defense, you know, um, you know, he would have he would have gotten away, you know, with not even being found guilty of murder because it just 
nothing literally matches up in the case. Um, I mean, for example, here's the serial number of his gun, which is H53725. Yet when they uh, do the um, crime lab test shot, it's uh, uh, the serial number of the gun is H18602. So again, you know, completely different down here than what the gun is up here. And again, they had access to his gun, but didn't use it. But claimed that, oh yeah, it's a match. You know, that's, that's kind of like the, you know, kind of like the uh, Oswald gun morphing from a 7.65 German Mauser to a 6.5 man liquor Carcano overnight. You know, same, same type of thing. Now, do you believe Sirhan was one of the shooters? I mean, he had a gun in his hand. I do believe he was a shooter. I don't believe he didn't fire any shots, in my opinion, that hit Robert Kennedy. Um, uh, I interviewed Rosie Greer um, probably four or five months ago. He lives in South Georgia, and he said that him and who else was it? I think George Plimpton and uh, Carl Euchre, who was the maitre d' that was uh, basically helped lead them through the uh, the pantry area. They were on their way to another room, and it was a shortcut through the pantry to, to do an interview in this press room. Uh, but Rosie Greer said after the second shot that him and Plimpton and Euchre had this guy basically pinned to the pantry table. And even though he was still firing off shots, he wasn't hitting Robert Kennedy. Um, you did, know, any, did any of those like Euchre that you interviewed, did they talk about his mental state when they grabbed him and throw him? Did he look like he was clear in mind i mean the whole grabbing the gun and with the in his hand and slamming it on the and he's still firing i'm like that's a sign of like mania where you're not really you're not doing anything but shooting at the floor it makes no sense to sit, sit there and fire the trigger you would point the gun at someone who's tackling you or you would still point it at your target and aim at him yeah he i mean uh i didn't ask uh rosie about his mental state but i um you know i watched a uh a recent um film that was actually made in 1970 and they they interviewed uh euchre and euchre says in the film that he appeared to be in some sort of trance that he didn't know where he was at what he was doing uh so that's the only thing i have on that i didn't ask rosie that question i was more concerned about you know how quickly did you get to him and do you think any shots hit robert kennedy and he you know rosie greer said no he goes he goes the first two shots that he fired he goes were wildly to the right of Robert Kennedy, he goes, and then we tackled him, he goes, and then at that point, he goes, we're banging the gun in his hand, he goes, and so it's going off up here, it's going off down here, I mean, one of the women that got hit, uh, the gun, the bullet ricocheted off of the floor and hit her in the forehead, Paul Schrade got hit in the forehead, but again, it was such a low caliber twenty two weapon, it, neither, neither of the bullets actually penetrated their skull. Uh, I mean, I won't say it's a flesh wound to get shot in the head, but, you know, it didn't go into their brain, so to speak. Uh, so they both survived. Um, and then uh, one of the other witnesses, uh, he was hit in the uh, uh, abdomen. One was hit in the hip, and I think one was hit in the lower leg. And when you start adding up the four shots that Dr. Noguchi said were fired at Robert Kennedy, the five other people that were shot, there were holes in the ceiling tile. Um, there were holes in two different areas of the pantry door frames. Uh, so you've got upwards of anywhere from 12 to 14 shots. And you know, and the reason why I say 12 to 14 is assuming that the two that went through the legs of people, maybe if they carried on and did damage into you know another area of the pantry or whatever, but you've got a minimum of 12 to 14 shots out of an eight shot gun. And like I said, Dr. Noguchi, the autopsy that he did, they literally called it the perfect autopsy because he had two other uh, trained medical legal um, uh, pathologists with him to make sure that he did nothing wrong on this particular examination. If I'm not mistaken, it's a 36-page report he also read up as well, too. Correct. Correct. And uh, and again, you know, it's just uh, like I said, they called it the perfect autopsy and all of the shots were behind Robert Kennedy. All of them were on a uh, upward trajectory from right to left. He was shot twice in the lower back 
one lodged in the back of his neck, one lodged in his uh, uh, shoulder near his spine. Uh, the one went right through here, and then the uh, the fatal shot was fired no more than uh, one to three inches from the back of his ear. And again, that was also on a upward right to left trajectory as well. And he, um, you know, Dr. Noguchi said he had contact burns, gunpowder residue, basically, uh, you know, on his body. Um, Are you attributing the shots in the ceiling and maybe the shots that hit all the other people standing around Robert Kennedy to maybe Sirhan's gun and then someone else? I think think that's I think Sirhan hit the five other people uh, because all the people that were hit were to the right and behind Robert Kennedy when they were shot. So I think it was more of a, um, you know, just how he is being, you know, tackled and the gun going off. Uh, You know, I think he fired the eight shots. I just don't think any of them hit Robert Kennedy. I think five of them hit other the other five people, which I've got their names in here. I don't have them memorized. I'm not that good. Well, Robert Uh, Kennedy was shot four times from behind or three times. Four times. Four times. And after the second shot is when Euchre grabbed Sirhan and started banging his hand. Right. So that you would maybe get two clear shots on Robert Kennedy, not four, and all the other shots just start bouncing around the whole kitchen area because he's getting his hand banged. Yeah, but the... not at any time did uh, any of the eyewitnesses of the 77 eyewitnesses in the pantry area, at no time did uh, anybody ever see Sirhan any closer than approximately four to six feet and always in front of Robert Kennedy. Uh, so, I mean, you had Paul Schrade, Ira Goldstein, William Weasel, Erwin Stroll, and Elizabeth Evans were the other five victims uh, that were hit. Um, and, you know, I'm under the, the strong belief that uh, it was Thane Eugene Caesar that uh, killed Robert Kennedy. Yeah, I've heard his name a couple of times, and I think, like, I didn't know this, but I always thought like, it was weird for the media to crop out the clip-on tie that was by Robert Kennedy. I thought that was Robert Kennedy's tie. But it's not. It was Thane Eugene Caesar's tie, which is like if you're falling backwards and you grab something, you're going to grab the clip on tie. And that could be the person that was right behind him with the gun. And then, I mean, it's interesting how he moved to the Philippines um, and also how he said he got rid of his gun as well, too. Yeah. Yeah. You can see here that you can see the tie originally in the picture. And even though this is a different picture, it's the same time frame. And again, they edited out the, the tie on the ground. That to me is not what I thought it was, which was the reputation aspect of like, oh, we don't have to show Robert Kennedy's clip on tie. But if it's another person's tie, what that is now is that you're now saying we're, we can't do conspiracy here. So let's right. get rid because of the you tie. Can see, you can see in this picture here, he's still got his tie on. Yeah. You know, Robert had his tie on and obviously he didn't use a clip on tie. Um, but, you know, yeah, you can see clearly he's still got his tie on. And I even got the picture here of Caesar afterwards wearing the shirt without the tie on. So, and you know that he was only a security guard for this company for one week. He had only had one assignment before he got assigned this position. What was the first assignment he had? I've got it in here. It, it was just like guarding a warehouse or something. I mean, he, he literally worked for the company for one week and was had one assignment before he got assigned uh, the, the Robert Kennedy uh, detail. Would you expect political motivation for that, or what, what would you expect his motive to be, not just to kill Robert Kennedy, kill Robert Kennedy? No, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think, uh, well, for one, I've got him tied to the CIA, so I think the CIA was behind it. And it's hard to see, obviously, from your viewpoint, but I've got it circled here in red. You know, this is him getting ready to go through the pantry, and the, the hat circled in red is saying Eugene Caesar getting ready to come around to, to lead him through. I mean, he literally had him by the arm and was, you know, walking him through the, the kitchen area. Before we get into the court shenanigans, which I still want to talk about with Sir Han and his lawyers, I wanted to talk about, um, so the number of people that you interviewed all said that Sir Han was standing in front. We start talking about the, Eugene Caesar in the back, potential secondary one. What are other possible theories that could be out there? I mean, if all the shots came from below, then someone would have to be down at an angle. I mean, it's just, it's awkward how those shots are. It's even more awkward when you look at the photo of them putting on his coat and then trying to recreate it where I'm like, damn, man, I was like, wait, like, wait a little bit of time. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, again, of the approximately 77 witnesses that were in the pantry, 
all of them say that, you know, he was that uh, Sirhan was never closer than about four to six feet, uh, with the exception of uh, uh, one guy who was an amateur photographer. And, you know, when I questioned him just recently in the last three or four weeks about it, every time I would say, well, then, according to your belief, you know, uh, this didn't happen, you know, that, uh, you know, Sirhan was closer. And he he actually said this to me, Robbie, he goes, well, when Sirhan pulled his gun, he goes, the first shot uh, hit Schrade and Robert Kennedy turned around to start running. And that's why he got shot uh, in the back by Sirhan was he turned to go running. And I said, well, if he was running away from him and he was shot in the back, wouldn't he have fallen forward? I said, he's lying on his back. Right. And I go, wouldn't he have fell forward? He goes, were you there? I was there. Were you there? I mean, that's all. He, every time you confront him about something that didn't line up with his theory, his his answer was, were, were you there? Were you there? Because I was, you know, so I was just like, whatever, dude, I, I just let it go. Well, how many dissenting witnesses had a different had the official government version compared to how many people didn't have the official government version to believe more than one shooter? There's maybe a handful that uh, that were in the pantry that said it was Sirhan out of the 77. Uh, and I've even actually got uh, approximately 84 eyewitnesses in the pantry area, either in the pantry or in the actual kitchen, because literally he walked through the kitchen to get into the pantry area where he was shot. And so, uh, like I said, I've actually got 84 names instead of the 77 that's on the official list. But Well, how do you ex how do you explain away the conspiracy if there's tiles that are missing and there was destruction of evidence in a, what was it, a hospital's furnace? They had destroyed a certain amount of documentation in there as well, too. Like, I mean, even if it's bad police work or trying to cover your own ass um, because you didn't thoroughly do your job correctly, that's really hard to explain away if it was just a clear cut case of Sirhan did it. Well, and even the uh, even the door frames and the ceiling tiles that have bullet holes in them, uh, when they reopened the case 20 years later, they they had already been destroyed. And uh, Chief Gates, Daryl Gates, said that the reason for it was the trial was already done. And he said something to the effect of if we kept every single piece of artifact at a crime scene, we'd have to have an entire warehouse just to store everything in it. And my argument to that would be, um, you know, why do we why do we still go to um, these crime museums and why do we go to uh, Dealey Plaza and the Sixth Floor Museum if the artifacts that were in the case, in the trial, whatever, are not there? I mean, you know, uh, Bonnie and Clyde's original car that they got killed in was literally sitting in a casino on the border of Nevada and California, and people are paying money just to come by and look at a bullet-ridden car. You know, well, why didn't they destroy that after they were dead? You know, there wasn't a reason for it. They didn't have a trial. Why didn't they destroy that? But, you know, they're destroying, you know, asbestos ceiling tiles that take up, you know, that much thickness. It takes up that much space, and they're destroying them. Uh, destroy the door frames, uh, you know, leading into the pantry. You know, anything that had a bullet wound, you know, it was basically 20 years later when they reopened the case, they had no evidence. Why did they reopen the case 20 years later? Uh, they, um, uh, I think it was, uh, you know, one of these like 2020 or inside edition, somebody did a story on it. And so uh, there was a public you know, uprising about, you know, we're not being told the truth. Uh, you know, for the first time, people started saying there were more shots available than what would fit in Sir Han's gun. Uh, so they reopened the case. And when they did it, the LAPD just basically covered their asses. I mean, you know, they didn't do anything. Um, you know, like I said, when I was talking earlier about, you know, the, the test bullets, it came from a different gun, yet they said it matched, you know, how? How can it match, you know? Do you think that, like, with the court stuff and the evidence, the lawyers, it was because of the fact that they caught Sirhan with a gun? That was the fact of, like, there's not really, doesn't look good. So either way, he's going to have to go to jail, and it was about getting a lesser sentence, which is not getting a death penalty, which, in my opinion, I mean, is almost 60 years in prison. You know, right. if you didn't do it, is that a better life to live, I guess? I mean, it's horrible to say that, but. Well, and the thing that gets me is, again, their only job was to keep him out of a death penalty phase because he admitted to shooting, okay, uh, just simply because, you know, there were so many eyewitnesses that said, hey, you were shooting at him, you know, 
And so he admitted to shooting at Robert Kennedy, but then recanted and they would not accept the recant into the plea uh, deal uh, to, to get a lower, um, you know, sentence basically on him. And like I said, if, if they had actually, if the defense attorneys had done their job, he would have even been found guilty. He would have been found, found guilty of attempted murder, maybe. Uh, but, you know, again, he wouldn't have been found guilty of murder. Um, you know, and it, it kills me that, you know, just a couple weeks ago, uh, one of the Manson uh, girls got out on parole and Gavin Newsom, the governor of California's excuse was, well, I just can't fight every single case that comes up for parole. So he let her go and she admitted to killing, uh, you know, people for Charles Manson. Yet he fights uh, Sirhan's, you know, release uh, even after he was paroled by the, the uh, parole board, uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom denied his parole. Uh, claiming no, he hasn't. He hasn't shown enough remorse for what he's done. Well, he, he didn't. Do that's anybody. not. That's not what he is. That what he said. That's so stupid. I think it's the political implications of him releasing Sirhan. Oh, it is. You know, he's looking for a re-election. I mean, that's the problem with the politics today. Is the first thing that people do once they get elected is try to find a way to get re-elected, and all their decisions are based upon money coming in from my re-election campaign. Me not saying anything stupid that'll get me unelected. I mean. How can you let somebody go after, you know, uh, 53 years and that admitted to killing somebody? How can you let them go? Yet the person that doesn't admit to killing somebody after 55 years, they're a danger to society. If you believe Sirhan was a shooter, but do you believe he was in a confused state or an altered state? And if you believe altered state, do you believe hypnosis? Do you believe MK Ultra? What, what, are, what are we going with? I'm going with MK Ultra all the way. Okay. Um, I put a lot I, of weight into it because you know the work I've done on Joyon West, and I've talked about with many academics MK Ultra. So it's not so crazy to think, but it, you know, I know people bring up the Puka Dot Dress Girl, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but there's a, it's really weird to me that in court they found out that Sirhan was easily hypnotizable, which I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. And I have, um, I have in my uh, book as well a case study uh, done in the, uh, England on uh, BBC network and literally they hypnotized uh, somebody and uh, you know gave him a, a prop gun you know with fake bullets uh, they had uh, an actor in the audience that you know had the blood packs so that when the gun pop went off this would go off and make it look like he got shot and you know there was some sort of trigger whether it was a word said or a color or whatever but this person was hypnotized and shot this person, everything didn't remember any of it. And then later on, they're shown the, the footage of what they did. And they're, they're just stunned. They're like, I can't believe I was able to kill somebody, you know, by being hypnotized. And like I said, it was on the BBC network and I've got it, the full case study in my book. And it just proves that the same thing could have been done to, um, you know, Sirhan. He actually claimed uh, that, when he saw the woman with the polka dot dress, he claimed that he thought that those were targets, uh, you know, at a shooting range. And so that's why he started shooting is when he saw the woman with the polka dot dress, you know, go by, he started shooting. Did she go behind Robert Kennedy? Evidently, she went either cut in front of Sirhan before Robert Kennedy, you know, got into that area. Because, uh, again, they don't have anybody, you know, except for... The, the one photographer guy, nobody else has him closer than four to six feet away. You said nobody else but Sirhan? Right. So I think that she actually walked in front of Sirhan, you know, when Robert Kennedy was approaching, and that's what triggered him to start shooting. Why was she pointed out as the MK Ultra trigger? Is it because of the polka dot dress and Sirhan's statement? Yeah, I mean, and... Um, also, uh, Sandy Serrano uh, was outside of the, the uh, pantry area on a like a fire escape area, and this uh, polka dot dressed woman and another accomplice uh, came by and said, we shot him. And uh, Sandy asked him, you shot who? And she said, Kennedy. And so she, you know, she admitted uh, that somebody had shot Kennedy to Sandy Serrano. Um, and Sandy described her as a very attractive looking woman. 
uh, you know, wearing a polka dot dress. So uh, the, the woman in the polka dot dress is a huge, huge mystery, so to speak. And nobody bothered to follow that up at all. Even I mean, did she claim that in the beginning when it all happened, or it happened later in the investigation, the second investigation? Well, I mean, even even in the first investigation, the police badgered uh, Sandy Serrano into changing her testimony. Uh, literally, after fourteen hours of being interrogated, they literally kept saying to her, "You can look it up on YouTube. You know, uh, type in uh, Sandy Serrano testimony." And she's like, no, that's not what happened. You're trying to tell me I need to say this or whatever. And the police are like, no, Sandy, you know, you got it wrong. You know, this happened. We've got, you know, we've got Sirhan. He's admitted to shooting him. You know, you, you've got your story wrong. And I mean, they literally badgered this woman, um, you know, during the initial investigation. And then when she came back 20 years later, they badgered her again. Now, do you know why, like, do you think, like, I wouldn't say why, but the solidified evidence against Sirhan would have been the RFK must die in his journal? Have you looked into that at all? Yeah, I looked into that, and, um, you know, there's rumors that um, that uh, Sirhan didn't like his views, uh, you know, uh, against Palestine uh, and Israel and so forth. Um I don't I don't put a lot of faith into that because again I think if he's under hypnosis you could you could tell him to you know write RFK must die a thousand times and that's what he would do. Uh so I don't put a lot of faith into that. Uh even his own mother, you know, said to him, son, why did you do this? And he said, Do what? And she said, you know, you're accused of, you know, shooting Robert Kennedy. And he goes, They told me I shot Robert Kennedy. He goes, I never admitted to it. Now, granted, he did later in court and then like i said he tried to recant his testimony but uh but again you know he was like they told me i shot him he goes i didn't know i shot him uh so he was under you know mk ultra some sort of mind control hypno hypnotic state when when this all went down now when it comes to probably what everyone mostly agrees with if they agree with conspiracy did you find anything independently on your own that was something that Either you couldn't prove, but something that you think that might be a possibility that might add a little something to the case? Well, I mean, just uh, I was able to trace back uh, Thane Eugene Caesar's contacts um, through the security company. Uh, at one time, he worked for uh, Howard Hughes. At one time, he worked uh, for Robert Mayhew. Um, and, um, you know, he had a lot of connections with the intelligence agencies of our of our government through the CIA and the FBI. Um, and, you know, I, th I firmly believe Robert Mayhew is the guy that ordered the assassination of Robert Kennedy. Um, I did not find anything paperwork wise to prove that, but I, I, I've got my uh, my reasoning for that. Uh, but I think Mayhew is the, the guy behind it. Um, you know, he he, as well as uh, Caesar, you know, hated the Kennedys with a passion, um, you know, and, uh, you know, another another person that I found very interesting during this entire case that I contacted was uh, Dan Moldea. Do you know him? I've heard the name. Okay. He, um, he, uh, his, his own, um, his own Wikipedia uh, website uh, says that he is a, a fiction writer, um, but um, he uh, he wrote a book that said that RFK was killed by Sirhan. And again, you know, it's it's the God's truth. It was only Sirhan. Nobody else could have done it. Um, Yet, you know, when again, when you point out to him that, well, the bullet holes don't match up with the gun and, you know, the, the, the actual evidence, you know, he's like, well, you know, that's that's misleading. He goes, you know, those those bullets could have traveled through some of the people and, you know, hit the ceiling tile and hit this and hit that. I'm like, well, only two of them had the chance to pass through. I said, the you know, the other three people that were hit, you know, the bullet didn't pass through. It was recovered in surgery. I said, and, you know, one went through uh, RFK. I said, so you've only got a maximum of three bullets that could have caused five other, you know, uh, you know, bullet holes.
So how do you, you know, again. But those bullets don't even match the gun that Sirhan was using. No. No. But again, again, he did not have a defense. I mean, they were they were literally trying to keep him out of the death sentence, and that was it. I mean, since when does a judge not allow you to recant your testimony? You think they also steamrolled them because of the fact that they were trying to make sure that there was no idea of a probable conspiracy, but also they could get away with it because he was not like a white American citizen? I hate to bring that in there. But it is a real thing of like the 60s back then was kind of like this mentality. I mean, if you could steamroll someone who's a foreigner. Um, well, even and, if he's an American and, and not only that, but I mean, again, they wanted uh, they wanted the case and everything tried. And, uh, you know, if there were any appeals or anything, they wanted it all wrapped up before the 68 election as well. Um, you know. It's, uh, it's it's just a it's a sad sham that you've got a person that's set in prison for 55 years. Uh, you know, for a crime he didn't commit. And again, name me anybody that's sent to prison for attempted murder that serves 55 years. And that's the worst thing that could have, he he could have been charged for, attempted murder. And he would have been out already. He hasn't, Sirhan hasn't had one negative thing um, in his uh, parole hearing since 1972, okay? He's got 51 years of a perfect model citizen, okay, in prison, okay? You got 51 years of a perfect record, then what's the point of having parole hearings if you're not going to let somebody, you know, if you're going to deny him from getting out and he's he's shown remorse and that he's hasn't had a single thing in 51 years go against his record, why even have parole hearings? I mean, it's obviously not working. And, and again, they finally do release him for parole, and Gavin Newsom, you know, uh, repeals it. So, what? Why did did you ever look into why Boogie Losey was so interested in like conspiracy in the RFK case, but not the JFK case? I saw that. I was like, that's just—it's not the guy I know. I know somebody that had created a tomb, a tome, whatever you want to say, against the JFK conspiracy case but then you see him interested in the rfk one i was like i guess you just pick and choose yeah yeah he writes like a 1400 page book on uh jfk and you know nothing on rfk but you know and again uh you know bugliosi was real big on the uh manson murders as well well committed perjury in the trial that's what i have a problem with i was like you could have got him on prostitution charges you could have got him on anything but you got him for something he wasn't even there and it was like, that was like the weakest to me. I was like, look, I don't care. I think Manson should have been locked up. But I also believe that as an American citizen, you have rights to a fair trial. And if you commit perjury in a trial like that, I don't believe that's right. Um, sadly, I mean, yeah, you get locked up, you get an insane asylum for being nuts, but you can't just lock him up for something he wasn't even there for. Whether he convinced those people or not, and like the evidence didn't really. Well, and and here's the thing, too, Robbie, I don't know if you know, but. No matter what you go to prison for, okay. Um, I uh, I broke into a car, stole a car, and I go I get caught and I go to prison, okay. Within a month, you have to have a psychiatric evaluation uh, performed uh, by a clinical psychologist to see if you're crazy, and because if they deem that you're crazy, they're going to put you in the mental ward of the prison, uh, and you're not going to be in general population because they're afraid that you might be a harm to somebody else. Well, here's the thing. Let's say I got sentenced one year for breaking and entering into this car, but they deem that I'm crazy. Okay. When you're in the medical ward of the of a prison, none of your time counts. Okay. They could sentence you to six weeks, deem you crazy, and keep you there for the rest of your life if they wanted to. That's exactly what they did to Abraham Bolden in the JFK case. Okay. He was he was uh committed to a six-year sentence and spent four and a half years on the mental ward of the hospital and only after the psychiatrist that deemed him crazy killed himself did he get released back to general population so again they you know they could put sirhan in prison and claim that he's you know crazy and it doesn't matter how many years he's there none of his time counts even though he's got you know consecutive you know life sentences basically well not consecutive but He's got uh, a life sentence for killing RFK and shooting five other people. But but in a life sentence, only 25 years. 
Oh, I know. Yeah, he should have been out, you know, he should have been out in the 90s. You know, but again, uh, are you, but, you know, were, were you a perfect example? You know, Eugene Thane Caesar, supposedly Dan Moldea, when he did his book on RFK and killing him, uh, apparently Eugene Thane Caesar just loved Dan Moldea so much. He granted him over a dozen interviews uh, to tell him how he wasn't responsible for anything. Uh, and so that's the way that uh, Dan Moldea writes it. Yet when Robert Kennedy wants to interview him, uh, he agrees to it. And then, uh, I'm sorry, Robert Kennedy Jr., obviously. Uh, but when Robert Kennedy Jr. wants to interview him, he agrees to it. And then three days before he's supposed to fly to the Philippines, uh, Caesar requires $25,000 payment for him to come down and interview him. Hmm. Why, why? He went to the Philippines to get away from all the publicity of conspiracy theorists, I think, right? Yeah. But Ruth Payne sticks it out. He's so well protected, it doesn't matter. He's not alive anymore. He died in the 90s, right? What's that? He, did he die in 2019? When did he die? I think 19 was when he died, yeah. Okay. Um, Were you surprised that, like, the, the JF case has a lot. Like, you could talk about the JFK for, case for days, and it's just, like, constant, like, always this all this crazy connections and lines up, and it's just a lot. Do you think that's because of the president aspect, that there was just so much that was going on to really try and cover it up? Or do you think, like, why is the RFK case barely talked about, at least in popular culture, I would even, like, even people say RFK Jr., like, they go, wait a minute, is that? I thought that guy was killed. And I was like, hold on. I said, no, 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 that's his dad was. And I have to like tell it's like my friends or something like that. But why is there little publicity? It's It can't just be the president factor. But also when you talk about the case, it's not something where it's like 100% like this is going to be a 10-day podcast. This is something that's like very simple, perfect autopsy, bullets that don't match, Sirhan Sol and Peroy. Now, like a lot of these discussions I've done on RFK always start getting into the more modern Sirhan still on trial aspect of things. And I'm just going, is that because there's little information or is it because it's so clear cut? That's a good question. I mean, to me, it's a clear, clear cut conspiracy, just like JFK's, uh, you know, assassination. Uh, I don't know if it's the president thing or, you know, running for president. Um, but there's no hesitation when you tell people about Thane Eugene Caesar. There's a lot more people that I would find to be lone nutters in the JFK case that like with Vincent Bugilosi that believe conspiracy. And then as soon as you say thing using Caesar, usually at that point, any conspiracy people would just start saying, no, it's actually this person or it's this person. That's where you get the mob in the JFK. So it's where you get the CIA. It's where you get all that. Everyone thinks it's stained Eugene Caesar that I've talked to about the conspiracy side of things, or they talk about the woman in the dress, but there's not really any other alternatives. No military industrial complex idea aspect. It's just, there's another here's the guy that they should have went after and it's a hundred percent another person, not just Sirhan. Right. Well, and you know, I have a, in, in my research, I have a lot of re reason to believe that, um, you know, Lyndon Johnson wanted Hubert Humphrey to win the, uh, uh, the primary. Uh, and I don't feel like he would have won it if Robert Kennedy hadn't been assassinated. I think Robert Kennedy would have easily uh, won the Dem democratic nomination. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like you said, Caesar, polka dot dress lady, you know, that's pretty much it. And, you know, Caesar lying about the fact that he initially said he sold his gun before, uh, the Robert Kennedy assassination. And then, uh, you know, William Turner finds out, uh, that he sold it in September of, of 68, you know, five months after the assassination. And, he, and the guy that he sold it to even still had the receipt signed by Caesar. Yet again, when they open up the investigation 20 years later, they don't question him about it. You know, the, you had um, Carl Euchre and um, who else was it? I think it was uh, George Plimpton's wife. Don't hold me for sure on that. But uh, I know at least Carl Euchre uh, said that uh, he saw Caesar draw his gun and fire it. Okay. Yet the police didn't question Caesar about it. You know, they didn't question, did you pull your gun? Did you fire your gun? Can I have your gun? What kind of gun did you have? You know, uh, does this gun, you know, does this gun line up with the same type of bullets? I mean, if, in my opinion, if the CIA is 
using the MK Ultra program on Sirhan, and they know he's got a 22 caliber revolver. The guy that they're going to put in there to do the shooting as well, uh, Caesar, is also going to have a 22 caliber revolver. Uh, because, you know, the, the actual fatal shot itself in the head, the bullet was damaged so badly, they couldn't compare it to any bu other bullets, either the one fired by the one that was in police custody or um, Sirhan's gun. It was so unidentifiable because of the damage to the bullet, they couldn't link it to any gun. So if you got Caesar and he's got a 22, and he knows that Sirhan's got a 22 and he kills him and doesn't get questioned by the police, he wasn't a policeman, he was a security guard. Okay, somebody else, two people saw him pull a gun and shoot it. Why aren't the why didn't the police investigate that aspect? They never even questioned the guy. They didn't even question him about having the gun until June of 68. I mean, it's it's just mind-blowing that the LAPD is that you know incompetent. Um, do you remember like the said, statement one of the cops made about we don't want to mess up like they did in Dallas? Do you think that could be possible that they were just really trying to make sure that they could wrap it up as tightly as they possibly could? Kind of like with the Warren Commission and you know even the HSCA's work a little bit. It's about not really an investigation. It's really about just trying to make sure it's the lone assassin or make sure it's that this narrative. I, I say all the time on the JFK case. If you had something for the Warren Commission that showed Oswald's uh, guilt, it was it was put into the publication. If you have something that shows his innocence, it was not put into the Warren report. Same thing with the the RFK assassination. If you had something that that proved his, you know, innocence, it wasn't investigated. Uh, if you had something that you know proved his guilt, they were all over it. Again, it just amazes me that they don't even question you know, the security officer that, you know, two people saw him fire a gun. How do they know that he didn't shoot, you know, one of those other five people? I mean, they don't know. They didn't test the bullets. So they didn't test his gun. You know, they just, they just gave him a free, you know, get out of jail free card, basically. Um, I said, I just, I don't understand how, you know, the LAPD could be that incompetent. I really, I, it just blows my mind, but but again, you know, it's it's like, uh, you know, you're talking about Bugliosi, okay, and I was talking about Modea. You write a book that says Sirhan's guilty, uh, you know, Oswald's guilty, and it's on the New York Times bestseller list. It's got thousands of reviews. Uh, you know, it's it's great. It's perfect. It's all of this. And you write a book about conspiracy, you have nothing. Okay. Yeah, but you did the film on the JFK assassination that's gotten like something million views on fucking YouTube now. I'm proud of you for that. Good job on that one, man. I watched the DVD before it was on YouTube. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, it's got the, the that Allen Public Library. They've actually invited me back to speak again in uh, October of this year. I've got uh, I've got over a million and a half views. I'm the third highest uh, video that Allen Public Library has ever put on. It gives you hope that there's people that still care about the assassination. Yeah, but like I said, you know, uh, it, it just blows me away that, like I said, if you write a book that says Sirhan or Oswald's guilty, you get all these great reviews. And, you know, you write a book that says that they're innocent and you get nothing. You know, well, they want the people want facts. They want something that when they learn the information, it's actually going to be information that they're going to be able to not have to dump out. But I try and show people, I was like, if I give you a document, that states something different than the official narrative. I have friends that'll say conspiracy, like, hey, Rob, you're into that conspiracy stuff, aren't you? I was like, what are you calling a conspiracy? Like, JFK, I'm like, don't ever say that to me, ever. If I've done, like, all whatever, how many hundreds of interviews or conversations I've had, and then I've been over through 72,000 things of documents to show you that we know a lot more than 63. I don't need to say who did it. I don't need to say even why. People have been doing that for years, and I've explained it okay. But I'm interested in showing that this is what they said in 63. Here's where we're at in 2023. The story is not the same. There's a lot of new things that we've learned, whether it was intelligence operations or anything like that. The lying of Oswald in his 201 file. I mean, it's a simple, you start with a lie and understand that, okay, you can start questioning into things. It's about finding that skepticism. But honestly, the whole political assassinations of the 60s and just it using as a tool for tradecraft 
Um, and the intelligence agencies is interesting in its own. I mean, Dag Hammarskjöld's death going down in the Congo in a plane incident. And then Hale Boggs, I'll put him up there. In 72, he went down over Alaska with a senator after calling out J. Edgar Hoover. You know, that shit, I'm like, there's just, look, don't ever take an airplane. Don't ever get in a hot tub. Don't ever do anything like that. But you start noticing that, like, it's just a little bit more than uh a random coincidence. This is kind of like a state secret or a state craft tool. I mean, we know we do it overseas in other countries and people know that and won't say anything about it. But then you look at over here, they're like, oh, it'll never happen over here. I'm like, what makes us exempt? Well, here you go. You're going to love this too, because I told you I got my JFK Jr. coming out in a couple of weeks. Well, in September, this one comes out. Okay. It's called God, Operation not, Mockingbird. Okay, it's Operation Mockingbird. It's not just 9-11, okay? I have chapters in there. It's all about the CIA's role, CIA's role in media manipulation. And I have chapters in there on Hell Boggs. I have chapters in there on um, uh, Malcolm X, Dorothy Kilgallen, uh, Barry Seal, Iran-Contra, Reagan assassination attempt. Um, John Lennon? No, I didn't do John Lennon. Um, I I could have. I also could have done one a chapter on Megar Evers. Um, I I you know I didn't do those. I've got uh, uh, JFK Jr. I've got uh, uh, Princess Diana, nine eleven. Um, so it's it's just all these chapters about how we've been lied to about you know like you said, don't get on a plane, don't get on a plane, don't do this, don't. <laughs> It's crazy to me to see how connected that is because I've looked through the actual like Operation Mockingbird documents. I've looked at a bunch of stuff of like one of media manipulations. I mean, the number of interviews or number of conversations that had been going on with Time Magazine editors and Life editors or whoever you want to say, there's a whole list of them meeting with CIA people. And they were very critical on some things about certain things that they would report, but that's also white ops and white propaganda, which is you're you know, you don't pass something about the military and them not know about it. So when something does slip through, it was probably reviewed by the military and it makes it look like, okay, so they are critical on our agencies. It's a big manipulation thing. They're all working together at some point. Well, I mean, you, you got it to the point now where, you know, uh, members of the CIA are, you know, submitting uh, manuscripts for movies. I mean, zero they've been influencing movies. I've done multiple episodes on that with film scholars. They've been doing that since like the twenties with like the red scare type thing. But even like, um, whenever you see like a good movie example would be like, a damn interview. If you ever see the interview where they go and try and assassinate Kim Jong-un, it was the James Franco and Seth Rogen that was shipped on little thumb drives and sent over on air balloons to over to Korea, um, by the CIA and people put those in their computers and people were locked up. People were killed. The CIA didn't care. But Marvel movies are funded somewhat by military. Whenever you see a battleship, one of those sea ships in a movie, you have to go to the government to get that. Now they can influence your script. And if they go, we want you to put this in your script, and then the directors go, no, 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 we're not doing that. Then they go, okay, well, good luck filming your movie without the actual battleship because we're just going to pull our supplies back. They do that with Jeeps. They do that with a bunch of stuff like that, which I mean – like at the end of Jurassic Park three, when they said thank God for the Marines, it's not a big propaganda tool, but it was a propaganda tool on its own. Usually people take away the beginning and the ending of a movie. Um, so that really sticks in people's heads. And if you got a kid who's impressionable, and next thing you know, they're thinking, oh, I'm gonna join the military. That's what I thought after I saw Lone Survivor. See, I, I was of the uh age group, Robbie, that uh when you turned 18, you had to sign up. <laughs> uh, not for the draft, but you had to sign up in case they ever uh, instituted the draft uh, again. And so you had to uh, register with the Selective Service uh, to make yourself available if a draft uh, was put back into place. And that, all I can think about when I was 18 years old, please don't have the draft come back. I don't want to go into the military. <laughs> It's um. Are you surprised how interconnected it all is? I mean, it, from a government stand. All right, I'll ask your personal perspective, and then ask from a government standpoint. Because from my personal perspective, I don't like it. I want to detach it. But from a government standpoint, I go, that is the smartest fucking strategy I've ever seen. If you really want to keep your shenanigans going on with, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you talk about like, 
I probably bring up the question about Oswald being like a, the CIA was monitoring him. People go, oh, that, it's no way. It's conspiracy talk. I go, he went to another country to defect, whether he was an agent or not. You're going to have a file on the guy. I hope they have a file on the guy or they're not doing their jobs. Right. You know, and they, they try to claim, oh, we knew nothing about this guy, yet we were monitoring his mail for four years. Drop, dropped it the <laughs> week of the assassination. You know why they did that? Because they have to alert all Secret Service members of any threats to national security, and Oswald would have been on that list. Yep. I was uh, I was asked to be a technical advisor on a, a movie, and you might have uh, you might have uh, seen the movie uh, American Made with Tom Cruise. Did you ever see that? Okay, it's it's about the uh, Iran. I was going to say Flight Club. Bear- I was like, you can't talk about it. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was about Iran Contra. Uh, in the beginnings of um, Barry Seal with running drugs and guns and so forth to Central America and back. And he was uh, he was bringing the drugs back to Arkansas and um, they were using the cocaine to introduce crack cocaine into Los Angeles and so forth because a small amount of cocaine makes a ton of crack. And so they were using that for the money and um, you know, one of the things that I said to him, I said, you know, you've got Tom Cruise flying this plane over Mania, Arkansas, and he puts it on cruise control and he's throwing all these drugs out, you know, into the swamp area, this field. And, you know, you got the people that are picking it up and everything. And that's how, you know, they're getting their money and everything. I said, but the problem is the plane that you've got him in, he, you can't put that on cruise control at that low of an altitude. I said, so there had to be a second pilot in there. And in my opinion, it was Jeb Bush. Um, but again, they uh, they basically said, no, we're, we're not going to use that. Uh, we're going to keep it the way that it is. I'm like, well, you're not factual. You know, is, any, anybody that knows anything about these airplanes, you can't put a, a plane on cruise control 500 feet off the ground. You know, I said, you know, good Lord, you can run into a power line. You don't know what the hell is at 500 feet. Uh, but, you know, they, they left it in there and didn't want to introduce, you know, the, the, the Bush family. And that's the reason why the Bush family and the Clinton family are like that is because at the time that all this drug running was going on, Clinton was the governor of Arkansas where all this was happening. And Bush was the vice president. Is this true? But did Bill Clinton drive hail bogs to the airport? Yeah. What a fucking crazy thing. That is so nuts to me. Yeah. He was like 20 six years old i think he was interning somewhere in dc but yeah he drove him to dulles airport that day that's so nuts man there's so many of those like coincidences what i would call coincidences with giant ass air quotes um where i say that to someone they go no and i'm like i don't like i can't explain but there's just a number of things even statements and stuff like that that just i've got, I've got that story in my operation mockingbird book on the uh on the hellbox chapter you know i've also got in there you know, that um, his daughter uh, in 1975, I think it was, Koki Roberts, you know, started working for the media. And from 1975 all the way until her passing, I think, in 2019 as well, you know, she never did one single story in close to 45 years. She never did one story about the death of her father. Not one story. I think a lot of yeah. people are afraid that it's going to happen to them, too. No. Who knows? Or I people was... get paid off. I'm surprised the Kennedy family hasn't really done much in the Sirhan stuff or openly spoken as much as RFK Jr. And I think Carolyn now does it. Yeah. And, you know, it's a shame, too, because, you know, RFK Jr. wants the truth. And I even I even have it in my uh, book, you know, when uh, when Gavin, Gavin Newsom d- denied uh, the parole for uh, Sirhan Sirhan. Robert Kennedy quoted was quoted in the L.A. Times as saying, this is just another perfect example of somebody who claims that they love my father but don't want to see justice get done. You know, it's a perfect I mean, example. It doesn't even need to be that you believe conspiracy, but to allow another investigation or allow anything to of a different a different opinion, you think you'd be open to it if you actually gave a shit about it. Like if, if if it came out that it was a lone nut or if it was just Sirhan, would I be offended? No. Would I be upset? No. If it came out that it was just Oswald, no. But I would like all the facts of the matter 
it's like, I know it's your book doesn't, or I'll have you back on and talk about your book as well too. Um, the Mockingbird one, but even with the nine 11 stuff, it's, you can't call someone a conspiracy theory. They don't call the family conspiracy theorists. Cause that would be insensitive to the families of people that lost people over there. They usually go, Oh, they're just traumatized. Um, that's usually the example you hear, but there's things you can't explain. Why did they try to get rid of the scrap metal a week later? And the family was crying because they were going to hinder the investigation. You know, there was a, there's a lot of things that needed questions that weren't answered. Family members that want documents. Why do you still have stuff locked up? Um, national security doesn't make sense anymore when there's really a, a traumatic incident to this country. So it's not necessarily about being a conspiracy theorist. It doesn't always need to be that there's this crazy avenue to go down. But the fact that you're not giving all the facts on that basis alone, whether you're conspiracy or not, you deserve the right to know everything, not just what they want to tell you. Here's one for you, Robbie. Okay, the 9-11 attacks on the, the Pentagon. Okay. Show me where there's a plane in any of those pictures. Oh, don't do this to me. Show me a plane part. Okay. The first I had, one I I had Nick West on when I was first getting introduced into like the 9-11 stuff, and he told me there's remnants of the plane left, and I was like, I don't think so. I've seen the pictures. Well, look at this picture up here. The you know fuselage, what's crazy? The my, fuselage supposedly went through there, but the wings didn't. My grandfather did the original tiles on the Pentagon. And my grandmama is married a JFK Secret Service agent. There's connections all over the place, man. I'm much like Bill Clinton, except I ain't driving a guy who dies in an airplane crash to the fucking airport. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But goddamn, uh, to get head in office, let me tell you something. <laughs> Here, here's the crash in Pennsylvania. Okay, where's her plane? They said that the plane parts scattered throughout the... Uh, there's a good person that you should talk to. Michael Springman, you ever heard of him? I have not. He took. A, he did a book called Visas for Al-Qaeda. He's the one that denied some of the Al-Qaeda terrorists their visas, but the CIA okay. pushed it through. I had him on the show to talk about it, and he was like, I don't know why the CIA pushed it through, but I think there's even photos of them monitoring the guys before they did that. And I love the uh, story, too, about the the woman on the BBC that reports that uh, Building 7 has collapsed uh, at the World Trade Center. She announces it 30 minutes before it goes down. When she's on air, you can see the building standing in behind her. (laughs) You know what I didn't know, which is a really good documentary you can watch on YouTube about, about it? There was a hotel, the Hilton, right in front of, I think it was the Hilton, um, that was right in front of the towers, and they interview all the people that were in the building as that plane went in, and they were all in their rooms. They all walked outside, and there's all this debris falling all over the place. And they had to run out of there. It's so eerie hearing them. Like one dude got on a plane to go to the um to that hotel, ended up they uh, booked his reservation or something. He they canceled his and booked another one, so he had to go to a different hotel. And it's like he just missed one of the biggest historical events like that's a weird luck thing but there's a so many accounts like that from people that were down there that had burning debris falling on them and messed up their skin or something like that but it was just interesting to hear i never even knew that there was a hotel that was literally right in front of the twin towers yeah well and they've got uh uh let me see if i can find it here but i've got it in my uh, uh mockingbird book i gotta uh, ask this about rfk because we got to get back to it but um okay. Where do you think he got programmed? Wow. That's, That's a good that, question. I, I have never even put any thought into that, but it would have to have been, I would think probably down in San Diego. Um, probably the closest uh, CIA military station. Or the Haight-Ashbury uh, clinics. Yeah. Yeah, either one. San Diego would have been a little bit closer for him, but, you know, again, I don't think that matters to him at that point. There was only like probably 12 or 11 people involved in MKUltra that we know of. So I'm curious to see if there's any names of anybody can find that would be like a letter or a visit from this certain person. Unless he was watching a tape. I heard that, that he would watch tapes. And that's why people think like those things that are Star of David written in the journal. They're like they're kind of like weird occult sim- symbols that maybe he might have got like a television thing like you know those guys that did jonestown all that stuff there's people that were openly speaking like very convincing like jesus is the lord like all this type of stuff 
could convince someone who might be, you know, more susceptible to hypnosis, you know, be able to brainwash them in a sense, but someone has slipped them a tape. Don't, don't even go there on uh, uh, Jonestown. The, the guy that was in, uh, involved with all that, Jim Jones, is from my hometown in Indiana. Have you, <laughs> have you researched that guy too? Oh, yeah. We'll do a whole separate episode of him. I got to figure out why Mark Delane went down to fucking Jonestown. Mark Lane went down there trying to get the congressman out. Uh, was there was a congressman down there? Yeah, he was killed. Yeah, there was a congressman that was killed down there. Him and his secretary, I believe. No, his secretary lived. But yeah, he, uh, he he went down there. Mark Lane and this congressman went down there to try to talk to the people and basically ask them, do you want to get out of here? Because they knew that it was a cult. Do you want to get out of here? And they're like, yeah, but, you know, we, we can't. Um, and, you know, he'll, he'll kill us if we try to leave. And uh, bottom line, when um, uh, the congressman and Lane and everybody tried to leave, they opened fire on him uh, right there on the runway. Uh, and the congressman was killed. So You can listen got, to the tapes of the sermons, too, on the FBI website. Yeah. And I've got in my uh, RFK book as well, I've got uh, documentation from uh, uh, Allard, Lo Allard Lowenstein, who was a big Kennedy family friend. and. Um, uh, I believe he's either a senator or a congressman, uh, uh, but you know he had uh, a lot of uh, disbelief in the Sirhan Sirhan thing as well. Uh, and again, you know, miraculously, this guy in 1980, uh, somebody just comes into his uh, office in Congress or whatever, you know, in New York, and you know, kills him. Um, you know, and again, he's being crazy, and you know, he's already out on parole. That happened in 1980. He's already out. And what free. about the two suicides of the actresses now i'm not familiar with what you're okay i don't know their specific names apparently two witnesses to the rfk assassination um two young actresses or trying to be actresses committed suicide which they thought uh, i had one person say it seemed a little bit weird yeah i'm, I'm not familiar with that but our lowenstein is actually buried about probably 100 yards from JFK and um, in Arlington. So, but I've got his story in my book. It's rather interesting as well. Because again, this was something that didn't come out until uh, the second hearing into uh, RFK's assassination in 1988. At that point, RFK had been dead for 20 years and even Allard Lowenstein uh, had been dead for eight years. Uh, and all this new information came out about how he didn't believe in the Sirhan Sirhan thing, you know. So again, that you had plenty of new information twenty years later, and they still chose not to do anything as far as granting him a new trial, pardoning him, uh, Sirhan, you know, any of that, you know. So because time moves on and people forget. Yep, unfortunately, they just gotta wait it out until people do. You, you want to really feel old? Think about this: with people going around buying a drink right now in a bar in your hometown that was born after 9-11. I know. That's the crazy thing. I was at a concert. A bunch of 16-year-old kids got in front of me, like cut in front of me. And I was like, okay. And I looked at them. I was like, fuck. I was like, when did that happen? Because they split the audience from like all the young people were standing up front and then all the sitting room in the way back was all the older people like in their 30s or 40s that wanted to sit and relax and watch. They didn't want to stand. And I just, in my head, I was like, damn, I'm going to be back there one day. You know, that's going to suck. I turned 59 today. This is my last year in the 50s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Drink it up, man. Gets a couple of Mai Tais out there on that back porch. But no, I seriously appreciate the hell out of the time. It, it's lemonade. It's not a Mai Tai. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'd spice it up a little bit, spike it a little bit. But um, no, Gary, you gave me enough of your time, and I really appreciate you giving me time on this day as well, too. Um, Hopefully, if you go to the 60th, hopefully maybe I'll go and we'll... You know. Oh, I'll be there. I'm... Uh... I'm actually uh, speaking about Operation uh, Mockingbird, and I'm actually on a panel with um, three other people on the Robert Kennedy assassination. So, including uh, William Claber, if you know who that is, he uh, uh, has the last interviews of uh, Ricky and Geneva White before Geneva passed away. So, and by the way, if you come to Dallas, you want to talk about meeting somebody you'll never get to meet? Ricky White's going to be there this year. Well, that might incentivize me to go. 
that's I mean it, it is I mean because uh, I was going to be on a panel with um, Gary Shaw and uh, a couple other people uh, about the Roscoe White um, you know situation and um, they called me up and said hey would you mind uh, bowing out of the Roscoe White presentation we've got another uh, person we want to put on the panel and I said well no big deal I said you know I said who is it and they go Ricky White I said oh hell yeah I said I'll bow out for Ricky any day you know, because I want to, you know, pick his brain some more anyhow. So, he, but like I said, he's he's going to be there. So you might want to come. Well, Gary, where can people find your links, man? Um, best uh, thing is to go to my website, www.thejfkassassination.com. It's got uh, tons of information on there for free. Uh, if you want to purchase a book or a video, you can. Uh, you know. It's got my Allen Public Library on there. It's got the uh, first interview that you did with me on there. Um, so, you know, it's the best thing is just go to the www.thejfkassassination.com. All right, and I'll make sure I link that in the description, Gary. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Out of the Blank. Stay tuned for next episode.